0: what is good everybody yo welcome to the uncensored christian podcast where we help real people with real problems know the real god hey if you enjoy this message share this with your friends because the gospel is not meant to be kept to ourselves and there is a link down below if you would like to give your gifts really do help this podcast reach more people all around the world i hope you enjoy this message what is good everybody uh today for this episode we're hopping straight into it. My bed is calling my name and it is late at the time of this recording. but I've gotta I've gotta keep it going because I'm so excited to get into Genesis. I'm I'm so excited to get into Genesis and I hope that y'all have an ounce of excitement like I do, but we're gonna hop straight into this because we got work to do. all right Romans 15 verse 17 through 21. Paul says in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to... Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. All right, like we always do, we're going to go verse by verse and break it down. So once again, verse seventeen, Paul says, "In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God." for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word Indeed, So right off the bat, what really caught my eye was that Paul said that he had reason to be proud of his work. And Paul starts this middle section of his letter to reflect on uh, some of these things, some of these things that have, have been accomplished through his obedience to Christ. And this Initially struck me as odd. Because my, my first reaction to hearing Paul say that he was proud, that he had pride, was the thought that, hey, Paul, isn't pride a, a bad thing? Isn't being proud a, a a bad thing for a follower of Christ to be, to have pride? Am I the only one who would have this thought naturally? At least for me, most of the time. When I've heard about pride in the context of Christianity, being taught in the church or anything like that, it's always tied to this negative connotation. It's always deemed as something that's wrong, sinful, uh, something that can lead you to your own destruction, something that can lead you away from God. And oftentimes, this is how pride is depicted. This is how the proud are depicted throughout the entire Bible. Just to name a few places, uh, look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. It says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. For Proverbs 29, verse 23. Once pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. James chapter 4, verse 6, if we want to hop into the New Testament. It says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And and these are just three of many, I mean, many instances throughout the word of God that talk about pride as a, a very bad thing and as something that we want to try and turn away from. And what's important to to point out, Because this is what I had to try and conceptualize. Because here you have all these instances where pride and being proud is being depicted as something very negative and something very harmful to our walk with God. But I had to try and conceptualize that within Paul himself, saying that he is proud and that he takes pride in this work that he's done. And I think what's important for us to understand, and this definitely helped me, is locating where the pride is placed if you notice, in all the places where pride is condemned, it's always grounded in someone's own belief in their own ability, in their own strength, and in their own wisdom. And this is the pride that comes with dishonor and disgrace. This is the pride that can ultimately lead to death. This is the pride where. One will try to attempt to elevate our own lowly, foolish, human, sinful status to a status that mirrors God's. And that's where we make our mistake. That's where pride really causes us to fall. That's where it's harmful. But what, I, what I've started to learn and what Paul opened my eyes to here is that pride can be rightfully placed elsewhere. Instead of placing pride in our own ability, strength, and wisdom, our pride can be placed in God, in the work that he's able to accomplish through us. And if we dig a little bit deeper into what Paul's saying here, uh, if we look at the Greek that, that Paul wrote in, the Greek word that gets translated as pride here is the Greek word kokesis, which it just means boasting. And Paul uses this same word in other letters that he's written in the New Testament to speak about his pride or his boasting when it comes to the people of God and the people that he's ministering to. It's actually really interesting. He does this twice, um, at least that I'll read out here in uh, two Corinthians chapter seven and then once in chapter eight as well. And I'll just read this for you. Chapter 7, he says, make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. So here, Paul is expressing that he has pride in God's people, in the followers of Christ in the Corinth church. That's interesting. Very next chapter, he says this in verse 24. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. That's the same Greek word that gets translated as pride here in Romans 15. So so Paul is boasting to other people about the Corinthian church. Isn't that interesting? Paul has pride and is boasting about the work that God is doing throughout these cities and these churches. And we know that Paul isn't bringing about this boasting or this pride to lift his status, to uplift him in a a better light where people would look at the Corinthian church and be like, wow, Paul, that's the guy like none of this gospel stuff would be happening if it wasn't for Paul. Paul is the one that is responsible for this complete life change within all these various cities and all these various places. Paul's not trying to do that. Paul's not trying to lift himself up. And we know this because multiple times in multiple letters that Paul writes, he reminds his recipients of how undeserving. And sinful he was, and is, and he reminds them that he's only in this position, not because he's worthy. He points out that he is a wretched man, he points out the terrible things he did as a Pharisee, persecuting Christians, and he points out that he's only here because of the grace of God. Look at Galatians chapter one, verse eleven through sixteen. He says, "For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel." It's not anything that that Paul himself made up or that Paul himself uh enriched or or made to be something far greater than what it was. In verse 12 he says for I did not receive it from any man nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul's pointing out that this gospel that he's preaching he didn't receive it from a teacher. He didn't come up with it himself. It was revealed to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentile Galatians. Powerful stuff. He says this in Romans chapter 7, if you'll remember uh, a few months ago when we went over this, he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. There's many more that we could reference of Paul just openly explaining how he's not deserving of any pride or or any sort of glory or honor that he, he points it all back to Christ. He points it all to God. He constantly points out his insufficient, his insufficiency and weakness and inability to obtain glory on his own. And you know, I wish that more Christians would do this today. One of the things that, that really bothers me with a lot of modern Christian teachings by a lot of these celebrity pastors and people of the sort is and they don't call it this because it sounds heretical but it's this it's a it's a spin off of this notion of a little god's theology that we all have this divine spark inside of us and if we only try hard enough or practice hard enough or implement ourselves hard enough that we can unlock the God within all of us, that we all have this divine spark. We all have this purpose. We all have this destiny for greatness and fame and money and wealth. And if we just pray hard enough, we can all obtain the glory that we deserve. You hear this a lot. And you hear this in a lot of mega churches with a lot of celebrity pastors. And the reason why you hear it is because it sounds good. It sounds appealing. Who doesn't want to hear that they all have this majestic and holy purpose in their life to be famous, to be wealthy, to achieve all of their dreams and all of their goals no matter what? That is what gets taught. And I feel like if Paul were to be attending any of these churches or listening to any of these messages today, he he would probably explode <laughs> because For Paul, who many of us would look at and deem being one of the most influential writers in human history, one of the best followers of Christ that any of us could ever want to be. And even Paul points out that if it wasn't for Christ, he would be nothing. He points out that it was Christ who is the one that that called him by grace. It wasn't Paul striving and and praying and doing all these extra things to obtain grace for himself or to obtain glory, but it was Christ's sovereignty and power and wisdom that brought him out of his wretched state and took him and, and led him to a place of being able to make an impact. And that's not the message that gets taught today. The message that gets taught today is that if you believe hard enough and if you try hard enough, no matter how sinful you are, no matter how much you don't repent, God's going to ultimately just make you into this great, wealthy, blesser of all people. And Paul is a great case study about how that's not the process by which God brings about his purposes. Anyway. I say all this to say that Paul, through his weakness and through his insufficiency, still points all of it back to the glory of God. And here in Romans 15, he claims that because of Christ, he has reason to be proud of his work for God. Not by his own merits, but because of Christ. And even in his proud moment, even in this moment of pride that he has for the work he's doing for God he's still pointing it back to Christ that that's his pride is grounded in something other than himself something that is fully worthy of all the glory that is where paul is grounding his pride and that is why the pride that paul has is completely different than the pride that gets negatively attributed to our inability to be truly humble throughout the whole Bible and this changed my outlook on being proud and having pride when it comes to the things that we are called to do for Christ because I would often feel guilty for being proud or taking pride in for instance a a good podcast episode or a blessing that God had called me to do for somebody because I always thought that pride no matter what was a negative thing and even worse, when somebody else would show excitement and, and have pride for the work that they did for Christ, whether it be a, a worship song or a, they, they taught a lesson in a small group or they led a prayer or they the praying that they led was able to help someone out of a bad situation or if they led someone to Christ, if they had pride in that and really expressed that pride, my reaction at times would be negative. And I'm saying all of this to say that Paul himself was able to show pride in his work and pride in those who who obediently served Christ. And you know what? Paul deserves to have that pride. He was tortured, thrown in jail, cursed at, lied about. And in all the service of Jesus Christ, he did that all in the service to Jesus Christ. And to that I say, hey, homie, you go, Paul. Do your thing, boy. I love it. I love it. I want to go back to verse 18 here uh, because he says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. So Paul, being humble, wants to make sure that it's known that he's only going to boast and speak about the things that Christ has done through him. Not things that he may have done on his own accord or things that have been done through other people or anything like that, but the things that Paul did firsthand through the power of Christ that he was called to do. And and one of those things, namely, is to bring the Gentiles to obedience. We talked about this a few episodes ago, that Paul's goal was to get the Gentiles to a point where they could offer themselves as an acceptable sacrifice in the immense importance biblically to offering an acceptable sacrifice and that was one of the things that paul did through word and deed that he's able to boast about and how exactly are these things accomplished well paul says one by his word his many letters that lifted up corrected and taught these groups of people who in some cases knew little to nothing about the prophesied Jewish Messiah, who knew little to nothing about the Torah and the entire story leading up to Christ, who knew nothing about the foundation for this brand new Christian religion that they are embarking on. And he taught this to groups of people who in this time would have been worshiping a pantheon of gods. I mean, we're talking about Roman Gentile citizens, where the religion of that day was all these various gods. The, the, the Greco-Roman world, this is, this is what Paul is working with here. We, we see how his letters and his writings kickstarted this new and unheard of Christian movement that completely altered the course of history. And that brought an entirely new group of people into the family of God that that had been prophesied about hundreds and hundreds of years before where God was going to bring all the people from all the nations together, not just the Jewish nation, not just Israel, but all the people. And Paul is fulfilling this and walking this out in real time. But it was not only done by his word, but it was also done by deed and by actions. Paul did not just sit up on a throne, casting down commands and writing letters as if he was better to all these other peasants. He considered himself one of those peasants, and he lived a true life of servitude to his master, Jesus Christ. Paul never asked anyone to do what he was not willing to do himself. By deed, he was fully willing to be thrown in jail and falsely accused and tortured and lied about because he was going to stay true to following the actions that were necessary to serve Christ on to verse 19 he said by the power of signs and wonders by the power of the spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ so I had to whip out the old map the old uh, atlas <laughs> of the Middle Eastern world to understand how far and wide Paul really traveled, or at least how far and wide the teaching to the Gentiles traveled. And he went from Jerusalem to Illyricum. That's about a thousand miles worth of traveling and teaching and word of God spreading in, in a relatively short amount of time for the the sheer fact that they didn't have cell phones and social media or planes or carrier pigeons or anything like they didn't have a, a USPS that could just drive all their mail around Paul was doing this on his own accord crafting these churches on his own accord and teaching on his own accord it's absolutely insane when you think about the amount of ground that Paul covered and he he's not just saying that it was just a straight line that he covered. He says from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum. He, he's he's talking about a a diameter here <laughs> that Paul is is covering, and it it's absolutely mind boggling. Jerusalem is a uh, southeast of Illyricum. It would have taken a lot of time for Paul to travel. I, I just want us to understand how far a thousand miles really is it's absolutely insane but i love the way that paul describes the ground that he covered and it reminds me a lot of psalm 29 and i wonder if paul might have had this on his mind psalm 29 dude we we could do like three episodes on psalm 29 we might do that we might do that next week because the ending of romans 15 is just kind of just banter I don't know. We'll we'll think about it Oh, Psalms 29 is so cool. Anyway, I think Paul might have been keying in on some themes here in Psalm 29. I just want to read uh, verses four through nine for you. Uh, It says the voice of Yahweh is powerful. The voice of Yahweh is majestic. The voice of Yahweh breaks the cedars. Yahweh breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf." Mount Sirion, like a young wild ox. The voice of Yahweh strikes with flashes of fire. The voice of Yahweh shakes the desert. Yahweh shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of Yahweh shakes apart the oaks and strips the forest bare. So like I said, so many cool things that we could talk about, but we do not have time in this episode. But I do want to point out one thing, and this is what I think Paul is maybe maybe keying on. So notice in verse 5 of Psalm 29. It says the voice of Yahweh breaks the cedars, Yahweh breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. So this is talking about Yahweh's strength. Yahweh's voice, Yahweh's sheer strength that he can break the cedars of Lebanon. And if we look back the the forest of Lebanon are the tallest trees in the ancient near east. They're cedar trees. They're they're the biggest fattest strongest trees in the ancient imagination and we're told in verse 5 that Yahweh that God just by his voice is able to break them so we have Yahweh's strength being shown in Lebanon and then in verse 8 it says the voice of Yahweh shakes the desert Yahweh shakes the desert of Kadesh so in verse 8 Yahweh's strong powerful voice not only has effect in Lebanon but it also shakes the desert of Kadesh so many cool things we could talk about with the desert of Kadesh but but typically we would just read past these two names and think nothing of it but if we look at the the intentional symmetry of Psalm 29 and how we're being keyed into the fact that in two instances Yahweh's voice is strong enough to break the unbreakable, which would be these huge cedars of Lebanon and shake up the, this dry desert that often um, within the biblical cosmology was not just a place of wilderness, but it, it's this place of non-order. It, it's this place of uh, being wild and waste. We can look back at Genesis 1, um, When the earth was formless and void, the words for that are tohu vavohu in Hebrew, and it means wild and waste. And this is the realm of non-orders, the realm of non-creation, and Yahweh's voice is strong enough to shake up these deserts, just like his voice was powerful enough to bring form to what was wild and waste in Genesis 1. But anyway, if we look at these two places that are mentioned, Lebanon and Kadesh, And we look at the layout of the Holy Land at this time in Jerusalem. What we noticed if we looked on a map was that Lebanon is at the very north region of the Holy Land. And Kadesh is at the very southern region of the Holy Land. So what is this psalm telling us? It is telling us that Yahweh's voice, Yahweh's power, Yahweh's presence, it it, it reaches all through the Holy Land. From the north to Lebanon to the south in Kadesh. Yahweh is in control of this land. And this is similar to what Paul is saying here that the gospel has reached from Jerusalem, which is in the southern region, all the way around to Illyricum, near the north. It's like Paul is keying in on this, saying, hey, just like how Yahweh in Psalm 29, his voice and his presence and his power was reaching and breaking down the barriers from north to south in the Holy Land? Well, so is the gospel. So is Jesus Christ. It's reaching from the northern lands of Illyricum all the way to the southern region of Jerusalem. Isn't that cool? That's why Paul can say in verse 20, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Now, this is interesting, is that if Paul is keying in on Psalm 29 here, the whole goal of Psalm 29 is to show how as far as the, the, the sphere of influence in the known world back then, uh, Yahweh, his voice reached all of it. And for Paul, his goal is for the gospel to be preached to the entire world. That's why, after talking about what he's done in Jerusalem and Illyricum, that's why it's his ambition to continue to preach the gospel, but not where it's already been named. Because if you preach where it's already been named, as far as Paul's concerned here, then you're not advancing the gospel to the regions where it has not been preached. God's voice, as it were, in Psalm 29, is not yet reaching and having power in all these other areas in a, in a more symbolic sense. He continues in verse 21, But as it's written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Like I said, his goal is to expand on what is already known in Psalm 29, that God's voice will reach across all the land. And Paul wants to make sure that that continues to happen. Are y'all with me? I told y'all the Bible is so cool. Oh my goodness. The Bible is so cool. And, and what Paul quotes in verse 21 here is from Isaiah 52. And it, Isaiah 52 is really beautiful. Um, in the section that we're going to be reading from, it, it's often titled The Suffering Servant. And it, it's a prophecy that is looking forward to Jesus. In, in Isaiah 52, verse 13, it says this Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Isaiah speaks of a time here where many nations, and as we learned a few episodes ago, nations refer to Gentiles or those who are not Israelites. And he speaks of a time where these Gentiles will see what originally they were never told of. And they will understand things that they've never heard of. And in this, at its simplest form, is speaking about the gospel. And Paul is looking back here on Isaiah's prophecy and he sees himself in part as the vessel through which this prophecy will be fulfilled. Not that Paul's a suffering servant because we know that's Christ and he knows that's Christ. But Paul sees himself as the vehicle that will ensure that those who were never told of Christ will be. And that those who haven't heard of Christ yet that they will. Paul sees himself as taking on the responsibility in part of fulfilling these prophecies and fulfilling these scriptures, and fulfilling this idea in this future vision at the time that God's voice and power needed to be stretched out throughout all the land. And through Christ, Paul's able to do this work. And be only because of Christ and because of what he's doing for Christ. Paul is proud of this work. And as far as I'm concerned, if this is the work that you are doing, you have a right to be proud. This is the good pride, the pride that we should all be striving for.